the Warrens, and fuck any of you who <laughs> think their stories are true. Radio Drone. Welcome to another Thursday night, although it's not a Thursday night for for us because we don't record this on a Thursday night because we're complicated like that. I am Josh Hadley, and this is Radio Drone. With me, when he decides to show up, is the Canadian Serbian himself, Peter. I am based on a true story. No, you're not. You're like eighty percent lies. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm based I'm a I'm a Hollywood based on a true story kind of thing. It's it's mostly fictional. I'm like the Revenant. You know, it was winter and there might have been a bear. That's that's pretty much it. Well, Cecil will not be joining us this week because he unfortunately decided to have Fourth of July a little early near near Louisville, Kentucky, and some two four five trioxin leaked and well, Peter, you know where the end of that true story goes. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Cecil won't be joining us this week. In reality, he just has no internet this week, but I like my version better. Before we get into the topic tonight, which is obviously true story movies, you guys need to go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free clit bumper. It's not a mystery gift anymore. It's a clit bumper. And free U.S., sorry, Peter, shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So now that said, Peter, do you generally like true story movies? And when you watch a true story movie, how much how much faith do you put in the true part of a true story movie? I think the whole concept of true story movies is something that's become very oversaturated over the years because it seems to be a tagline that people will you know, put as a bumper sticker on the movie to get people to go see it because, oh, you know, this is, this really happened. Oh, go see it. And a lot of, uh, a lot of movies become tied in with that. Like there are lots of people who think movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre are based on actual real events, even though they're only loosely based on the occurrences of Ed Gein. And then there are other true stories that people don't realize are, are based on, on real events. Like, uh, like many people don't know that Silence of the Lambs was based on Ted Bundy helping the police catch the Green River Killer. But it's very, again, loosely based, very loosely based. But I, when it's done well, I really enjoy it. Movies like the the Jeremy Renner Dahmer film are very good and also very accurate to what actually happened, especially Renner's performance as Dahmer himself. Films like Pain and Gain are brilliant, uh, a testament to to Michael Bay as an actual filmmaker, for one, and just solid performances all around, and actually quite close to to what really happened as well. If you watch uh, the documentaries no, on no, that no. case, no, yes, 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 it is. No, very I'm close. stopping you on that one. The reporter from the Miami Herald, who initially broke the story in the '90s, has outright said Pain and Gain is about 80% fiction, to the point where. For instance, the Rock's character in that movie is actually four different people in real life, well, all no, condensed into one they, character and things like that. They condensed it. 
they condensed it, but it's still very close to what happened. It's it's accurate to the torture and the murder of what happened. It's it's based on you know real real bodybuilder guys that kidnapped a guy and you know tortured him and they they killed another couple. It is condensed, but I think if they were to tell the whole story, they would have to do it in like at least two movies, maybe even three, or as like as like a TV special or something. So all things considered, I think they did a good job of condensing it while still actually telling the story and not really not really pulling any jokes because it is a it's a pretty savage film based on some genuinely savage events and yeah it's it's obviously fabricated to a certain extent but i think it's it's more true to life than than something like uh like the revenant for instance which was a great film it was winter there might have been a bear involved and somebody you know was withstanding the cold great film but Clearly uh, an example of something I listed before, which was just putting a bumper on there, like based on a true story to get people to go see it, because what you see in the film are some are some pretty fant- some, some fantastic things. It's I consider it to be one of the most physical films since First Blood. But to call it a true story, it's it's definitely pushing it because we can't even know what may or may not even be true with events like that. I mean, it was in, I mean, how are we supposed to know what even actually happened at that point? It's a great film, but true story. Eh, yeah, it was probably winter. But other than that, how are we supposed to actually know? So, okay, pain and gain, you said is relatively accurate. I disagree, and so do the reporters from the Miami Herald. I mean, they said 80% fiction. And this is a movie that constantly reminds you that it's a true story. And yet, for instance, the real-life Mark Schiller, Tony Shalhoub's character in the movie, was never even contacted about what happened in the film, or about to about the film, to the point where he said they make him way more vile than he ever was in real life, and then they whitewashed some of the criminals. For instance, he said Danny Lugo in the film is is kind of slow, but he's the brains behind the whole thing. In real life, he was basically dumb as a stump. He was a wannabe con man who never had a single con work the way he wanted to. Anthony Mackie's character is sort of the tag-along kind of friend and whatnot. In reality, he was a complete psychopath who constantly wanted to kill Schiller in real life. Nothing like the movie. And then, like I said, The Rock is actually three to four different people all condensed into one person. That means the movie's not f***ing true, despite how much they tell you it's true. The events are true, though. The way that the the crime actually happened, the way the... The way the bodies were found, the torture, the fact that they're bodybuilders kidnapping rich people, I mean, it makes the film more interesting. I think you're, you're allowed to, to do that when you're telling a true story and you have to condense it for time too. Cause like, like I said, the fact that you mentioned Rock's characters, four different people, there's obviously more to it. If you were to do the entire true, full, entire story, you'd have to do a miniseries. There's, there's no, what actually I would love to see because I, I think that those events are actually really interesting and I'd like to see a darker, more grim take on it because a lot of the little mini documentaries they've made regarding that case are sometimes actually somewhat better than the actual Michael Bay films. I got people that actually look like the real people. Anthony Mackie's character in the movie is actually a lot more of a sadist rather than a bumbling goof and, and just little little differences like that, uh, whereas they're a little more subtle with that in the film. But I do think in regards to being a true story film, it's, it's one of the better ones and one of the ones that actually do tell the story. And yeah, they, they do somewhat whitewash the villains in it, but I don't know if they... They depict, they depict, uh, Daniel Lugo so much as a genius. He is a bit of a dumbass in the movie and none of his cons do work out well. He's constantly berated by Ed Harris's character, you know, because 
you know, he's he's the one telling the cops all the time that he's going to get hungry again and that he's going to be easy to catch. They just have to watch out for him. And, of course, he does. He gets hungry again. He gets stupid. This obviously doesn't think straight at all when he's doing the doing any of what he's doing. Like, you know, he thinks sneak in through the yard and do little little commando-based shit. Like, that was actually based on, on the real case. Like, they actually did do that stuff. They got in camo and they put on, you know, the, the grease and they went around sneaking around the, the backyards and stuff. Like, they were goofs. And, and the fact that they even got as far as they did is just spellbinding. Don't you find it kind of insulting that the real victim in this case, they made to be kind of the villain, in a way, blackwashing him, if you will? Because if they're whitewashing the heroes, they're blackwashing the actual victim here. Because when it comes to a true story, yes, you can do certain things for dramatic purposes. Not a problem. But doesn't there come a line that you should not be able to cross? For instance, you heard about what happened with the Happy Face Killer movie, right? Uh, I haven't, uh, is that the one where the guy that's wearing like the flesh mask and it looks like a, like a smiley emoji or whatever? No, that movie's actually smiley. No, the Happy Face Killer was an actual serial killer who killed eight women in six states between 1990 and 1995. He was a Canadian that came down to California. And there was only one living victim. Her name okay. was, was Dawn Slagle. In mm-hmm. real life, the reason that she got away was she was a single mother of three who went out to a gas station late at night to get her sick kid some milk. She got abducted by Keith Jesperson, the happy face killer. He sexually and physically abused her for almost 18 hours before her crying about never being able to see her kids again got him to let her go. Then uh. Lifetime made a movie of it. Still using her name of Dawn Slagle, now she is a slutty prostitute getting drunk at a bar offering oral sex to get out of being killed. Totally the what same the thing, right? Well, that's, uh, I'd say that's uh, a lot more of a bastardization than what Pain and Gain did. Because in, in reality, the guy that they kidnapped, I, I can't remember his uh, his name at the moment. Mark Schiller. But he, yeah, he was um sort of a half criminal because he was involved with, uh I, I believe it was something to do with, with scamming people out of their money or money laundering or something. Uh, there, there were charges against him um, that made it harder for him to, to be on the, the right side of the law. Oh, no, he, which, he, which he, I think... he admits straight up he was not an angel, but he yeah. it was says he is not the piece of shit that Tony Shalhoub plays in that movie. Yeah, well, that tends to happen in uh in movie depictions of of life events anyway, just cuz everybody is is more over the top than their than their real life personas. Like obviously Ed Harris's uh, private detective character is played up as more of a badass. You know, Daniel Lugo is played up as even more ridiculous probably was in real life with the really the goofy spiked up hair and constantly quoting like Rocky and Scarface and, and stuff and talking about the American dream and all this. Like they obviously played everybody up to a very grand, bombastic, over the top kind of style. And it worked for that movie because it, it feels like, like an exploitation film, which those those occurrences should be played that way. I think that's that's the right way to make a movie like that. Whereas going from uh you know single mother just going down to a gas station to, to pick up some milk and then getting getting sexually abused and crying and turning that into a prostitute offering up oral sex, like that is pretty shifty like that's that's way more than than what they did for mark schiller i'd say where's the line come because both movies had the same line of reasoning both uh, Mm. sets of producers we had to make it more dramatic 
where, where's the line come is my question. Should Dawn Slagle have basically, she was basically libeled. Oh, and by the way, when the Lifetime Network made the Happy Face Killer movie, because she was a real victim, they didn't have to pay her or get her permission to do anything. It was oh, wow. just, you're a victim, we can do this. So they kind of, she said she felt victimized a second time when she found out that she is now a prostitute in this movie. Because one of the things you got to remember, Peter, is a lot of people, when they see a true story movie, they aren't smart like you, where you go, I know it's probably <laughs> played up, it's probably changed. There are people who really think Alan Isaacman, Larry Flint's attorney, was shot in the 70s when Larry Flint <laughs> was shot. No, that wasn't... That's not the way that worked. Paul Cambria was his attorney at that time, and it was Gene Reeves Jr. who was shot. Yet in the movie, a major plot point is the fact that Alan Isaacman was shot the same as Larry Flint, but Alan Isaacman fully recovered, and Larry resents him for that. <laughs> Nothing from reality. I love The People yeah. versus Larry Flint. Don't mistake me. Just like Pain mm -hmm. and Gain, it's a fantastic movie. But if you know anything about Larry Flint... It's nothing close to reality. Yes, the court yeah. scenes are word for word from the transcripts. Those mm -hmm. are dead on. Everything else, Milos Forman, the director, said it was just, it was easier for the audience to follow one lawyer through, you know, mm -hmm. 25 years of movie time than it was to follow the four or five lawyers Larry had in real life. And that's kind of yeah. insulting because the audience doesn't realize that. Yeah, that is a problem. There are a lot of people that will see a true story film and immediately think that they, they know all the facts now. Like, oh, I know about this event. I can go to gatherings and parties or bars or whatever and, and talk about this as if I actually know what I'm talking about. And it's unfortunate is you, is you have people that really think that this woman was a prostitute and tried to give the killer head to get away. And in reality, she was just a single mother. Like, that that has to feel shitty for her to know that there are people that it think felt so that shitty she, she sued over it. Yeah, because that is... That's outright shaming her. Like, she's the victim, and she's somehow being shamed in the film. Like, and, and that really can't be fair if she's coming across people that haven't met her but know, know about her through the film. It's like, oh, you were, you're, you're in that Lifetime movie, so, so you, you're still hooking? And it's like, that's, that's gotta suck, knowing that you're, you're just a single mother trying to get by, and, and you just had some horrendous stuff happen to you, and now people think that you were kind of a scumbag, too. And it's like, that, that's not fair. Well, and, but then you have other kinds of true stories where they are accurate, but they play it up too. Like Good Morning Vietnam. The real, the real mm -hmm. life Adrian Croner, Robin Williams character, says the movie is a lot of fun and it hits all the right beats. But he says if he tried mm -hmm. half the stuff Robin Williams did in real life, he would have been court-martialed and would be in Leavenworth right now. <laughs> so he's like, he felt that movie shouldn't have been called the true story. And it was yeah. his story. And he said he still loved the movie, but it's not the true story. Yeah, thinking back to that movie, he uh, definitely wouldn't have got away with a lot of stuff that uh, that the Robin Williams character was doing. Right, and, and then you have other kind of whitewashes, like like A Beautiful Mind. Okay, A Beautiful Mind has some accuracy to it. And then it has lots of things that aren't accurate, such as the multiple homosexual affairs that the real-life person that Russell Clark crow plays had and his numerous violent violent breakdowns that are not in the movie that caused him to be constantly institutionalized all that stuff's left out of the movie because mm. they wanted to tell an uplifting tale of a man overcoming adversity not falling back <laughs> it's the same thing with, with the will smith movie pursuit of happiness did everything in that movie happen technically 
but the real guy was kind of more of a scumbag and then fell off the wagon and had lost everything. Does the movie tell you any of that? No. No, he's like this uh, very, very heartfelt father and just a guy trying to get by and sell his invention or whatever. It's like, of course, uh, they have to leave stuff like that out because some of these true story films are attempting to be Oscar bait. Like Pursuit of Happiness, you can tell they wanted that movie to pull the heartstrings and and, and get people going aw with the you know the the father son relationship. You know they have to sleep in a in in a public bathroom that one night and oh this is he's he's just trying to take care of his son. And obviously there were negative aspects of the man's life that they're not going to touch on at all. And that does kind of bother me. That that's that's why I like. Pain and gain is like, I know a lot of it is, is fabricated to a degree. I know they make people a little more scummy than they actually are in real life, but at least it's a scummy film. It's a dirty, dirty movie that doesn't pull really any punches. Nasty sh- people are nasty. And it's, that's pretty accurate to, to what really happened. Whereas they take, they take a story with a guy who did have some, um, you know, there were some redeeming qualities. Obviously, he, he really wanted to to make his life work, and he had this invention that he was trying to sell or whatever. It's like, okay, good. Make a story about that. Be a little more honest about it. You don't have to make it seem like he was this perfect dad, and every and he, he had such a strong moral compass. It's like, try to tell some of the real story. Because doing this, because uh, again, that can be used for people who will see the movie and think that they now know the real events. They think that this guy was great and they're going to talk about him and you know hold him up all high and then have no idea that he was kind of a piece of shit too. Well, and then you, you have that also. Now, this one I'm on the fence over whether they made the right move or not, but you've seen Black Hawk Down, right? Yes. The long, back when it like first came out, I was probably in, uh, how old was I? Um, 15 or... 14 when it came out. I think I saw it again when I was like 16 or 17. I remember it. It's a, I remember it being a, at least a mildly entertaining action movie for its time. And I know it's a, I know it's a true story and I'm fairly certain even seeing it back then that I thought to myself that this had to be fabricated to some degree because it's, it's very, very over the top and ultra macho and yeah, America and stuff like that. And I'm sure that some of this is, uh, it's kind of being swept under the rug for Hollywood entertainment value. And some of it was. The biggest thing was John Grimes, the, the, the character Ewan McGregor plays. This is where I'm falling on the side of the filmmakers. What actually happened doesn't affect the film. He was a hero in the Battle of Mogadishu. Fair enough. But do you really want to make him out to be the hero when at the time the movie was made, he was under investigation for eight counts of child molestation of his own daughter, which he was then later convicted oh, of. And and he was and sentenced to, and he was sentenced to thirty years in military prison. So is this really the man that you want to make your hero of the story? A man who was under investigation for eight counts of abusing his twelve year old daughter sexually? So, so you kind of right. go, yes, that has no impact on the story they're telling. But it also brings to, is this the man you really want to make your hero? It really should have just um, based the movie on those events and created a, a new character for the film. It's the same thing with, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about this one a little more, but uh, that kind of reminds me of American Sniper. Oh, American Sniper with, uh, is, whole, com- uh, is completely false. I mean, Chris Kyle. Oh, yeah. Chris Kyle's book a- is complete fabrication. He, he, he tells stories in there about how he was sniping looters 
during Katrina from the yeah. roof of the Superdome. Yeah, the police say that never happened. How he killed two carjackers in, I think it was Texas, and left their bodies in a ditch. Yeah, police say that didn't happen. How he, I mean, it just recently <laughs> came out, he embellished his number of kills, his war record. Chris Kyle was a piece of shit who loved to watch people die. I mean, literally, you read his he book. He claimed, uh... What was that? There was one chapter where he talks about getting into a bar brawl with Jesse Ventura and beating him up because Jesse Ventura came up and insulted the Navy SEALs or something. It's like, yeah. how, why would that even happen? Jesse Ventura is a proud Navy SEAL himself. Also, Jesse Ventura was that. able to prove it didn't happen. Yeah. I'm and yet so Chris glad Kyle, that he won that court case. After the court case, Chris Kyle still insisted it happened because I think yeah. in his damaged mind, it did happen. I think in his mind, all of these events really did happen. To me, Chris Kyle, if he had not joined the if, if he'd not joined the military, would have been a serial killer. You read yeah, his book; or, uh, he loves watching people die. Like that. Yeah, he he talks about it, giving him like orgasmic feelings and stuff. It just it made me. I wanted to check the film out because I do. You know, I respect uh, Clint Eastwood as a director, and I I do like Bradley Cooper in certain things. So I gave the film a shot. It's a fine film. It's not badly acted or anything. If you pretend like it's not based on any kind of true story, if you pretend like it's not about Chris Kyle and it's just about some fictional, you know, military sniper badass guy, it kind of works. It still but comes it across make... as a little jingoistic, though. Yeah, like you're watching it and you just feel uncomfortable because it's it's hard to ignore the fact that you're watching a film about a man who is not only out of his mind and scary in the way that he thought about death and killing people but just utterly full of shit it, it was uh it was nice to look at at times and it had some good performances but just the amount that's fabricated in that movie like th that movie has no no right to call itself a true story at all at all and sometimes that happens like you've seen 2005's train wreck domino right yeah but the um the mercenary chick Bounty Hunter. The real her, Bounty name, her name was Domino Harvey. That's uh, at Mickey Mickey Rourke in it as well. Yes. Now here's the okay. thing about yeah. Domino. The initial trailer when it came out said based on a true story, and then the real life mm. Domino Harvey sued, and then the trailer <laughs> said based on a true story, sort of. They embellished so much, and she was on set for most of this, and they didn't care. Mm. Now she died before the movie came out, so I know she saw a rough cut, and she said she was. Not the happiest with the rough cut. She never saw the final cut because she OD'd in her bathtub on methamphetamines. The thing that offended her the most was she was, in her words, mostly a lesbian in real life. She occasionally had, had sexual encounters with men, but she preferred women. In the movie, she's not only completely straight, but a man that is, in her words, like a brother to her, is her lover in the film. That's, uh, That's she's, insulting, she's... isn't it? But yeah, I, I remember her being very like promiscuous, almost exclusively with uh, with dudes in the film. That's yeah. that's pretty ridiculous to to not even. And what the f like? Don't like uh don't lesbians sell in movies anyway? Like why not actually uh more on the on the bisexual or, or lesbian level? Like it's gonna sell. Why wouldn't it? People tend to like that. Yet there are people that think that's Domino Harvey's story. Why? Because Tony Scott. Yeah push that thing as this is a true story. Now, the events in the movie are true. The criminals they hunted down and everything. But even the fact that, remember, it's about a reality show that they're making this for, right? Domino Harvey never had a reality show. 
So <laughs> even the things that are true aren't necessarily true, yet they push yeah. true stories. So how far should you be able to push a true story when it's not true? Is it just embellishing little things here and there? Or we made the whole fucking thing up, but there's just a couple of true names. For instance, Open Water. There's no way that, that the, can uh, be a true story. That's the one with the, the divers that get left and eaten by the sharks. All, a, all a they know intense, is... intense film. Right, but all they know for in reality is these people were left behind and some of their equipment was found. Yet this movie is billed as a true story. Because you have about 10% of what you know for a fact is truthful. The rest of it's all made up. <laughs> so how can an open water be called a true story? I, I would really prefer it if for a lot of these movies they would just put inspired by a true story. They do that like, on some of them. Some of them that, like to I really ride that. that line between based on and I inspired prefer, by. I, I prefer inspired by because at least they're admitting that a lot of the movie is going to be fictional. Because they're just they're being inspired by something that really happened and they're telling kind of their own story that has some of the real stuff in it. Whereas when they go based on a true story, they're telling you, they're feeding you that line of bullshit that it's the basis of the film. It's the true story. That's what most of it is. And a lot of the time, no, it ain't. They decide we don't know what happened. We're going to give you all the facts. For instance, like Wonderland, the John Holmes movie, the Val Kilmer one. I haven't actually seen that one because I, I really do want to see it. It's a fantastic movie. But here, here's the brilliant thing that Alex Cox did for the movie. He tells the events of Wonderland of, from what happened from John Holmes' perspective. Then they tell what happened from David Lynn's perspective. Then they tell what happens mm. from the cop's perspective. All three of these stories are vastly different, but all of them fit the physical evidence. So it's huh. up to the audience to decide who's more credible, David Lind? a convicted liar and criminal, John Holmes, <laughs> a convicted liar or and criminal, or the police who have a vested interest in trying to get these guys. Not, none of yeah. the three sides have the credibility to be the truth, but they all fit the physical evidence. Alex Cox yeah. brilliantly kind of said, I'm going to put out these three scenarios, the most likely ones, you decide which one's true. <laughs> Is that the way you should have to do it? I think that's a good way to Then you're not necessarily telling the audience that what happened is actually true because there's an ambiguity to it. They're taking the information that the, the people in the film that are based on these true events and they're telling it from their perspective. Is it 100% true? Uh, we don't know. The filmmakers don't know and the audience don't know, but that makes it interesting. There's ambiguity. It gives you the conversation after you see the film. It makes you want to look up the stories. It makes you want to want to compare the actual cases. I think that's a good way to do it. What about when the movie might be mostly true but it stops before the bad happens, like Aaron Brockovich. The movie mm. is, it's not accurate, but it's relatively accurate to what happened with, you know, the obvious movie embellishments. What the movie mm. for Aaron Brockovich leaves out is the fact that Aaron is a greedy whore. <laughs> that her and her law firm... That seems to be a, it's definitely a pattern for uh, most of them. Usually these uh, true story cases, they, they, you know, they build up the the person to be this, this very, uh, you know, heartfelt and endearing person. But if obviously there's, there's seems to always be that case that they were, they were pretty scummy behind closed doors too. Well, cause like in the case of Aaron Brockovich, 
you know, she does all this activism work and everything. And what people forget is her and her law firm attempted to keep two thirds of that multi-million dollar settlement for themselves, you know, for all their hard work. Mm. And for the people they were fighting for had one third of that settlement left split up amongst about 60 people. In other words, Erin Brockovich became a millionaire because of this case, but the people she was fighting for got a few thousand bucks each. Oh man. You know, and people, people, (laughs) people forget she contested this and her clients had to sue her to get their money. That would have been a pretty interesting way to end the movie. (laughs) It would have, but it wouldn't have told the story they wanted to tell. They had a perspective and a perception of what they wanted to push. And that's what they did. And let's not even leave, let's not even bring up the fact that Aaron Brockovich is a piece of shit on a filmmaking level. Because the whole film takes place in the early 1990s and the late 1980s. And yet her son has a Jurassic Park poster on his wall. And when they're at Walmart, there's PlayStations on the shelves. And they make references to movies in the mid-90s that haven't come out yet. And just because they told you it was the early 90s. You were supposed to buy it, even though they didn't try to fix it. It's like the movie Patch Adams, another true story where the true guy says nothing in this movie fucking happened. But <laughs> that movie takes place in the 70s, and it's got 70s hairstyles, 70s clothes, 90s cars, digital answering machines, flat screen TVs. You know, all those all those accoutrements we had in the 70s, right? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that always bothers me when a movie is meant to take place in a certain time. Yeah, I... Aaron Brockovich does not in any way feel like uh, it, it's in the late 80s or the early 90s. It, it feels like – when did that one come out? Was that early early 2000s? It was either late 90s or early 2000s. I don't remember. Yeah, and it's, and that's what it feels like. It doesn't feel like it takes place in the, the 80s or the, the early 90s. It feels like it takes place in the early 2000s. That's what I th- – you need to do that. If you're going to do a period film, if you're going to do a film that takes place in like, – like going back to Pain and Gain, that feels like early to mid nineties. It really does. The clothing, the cars, the, the music, the way it's shot, the colors. It feels like the nineties. Boogie Nights is meant to take place in the mid seventies to the early eighties. It feels like that. It's shot like that. Paul the Thomas Anderson went to great effort to make it feel yeah. like the seventies or eighties, depending on which part of the movie you're talking about. Absolutely. And that movie, you can kind of, it doesn't say that it's based on a true story, but you could say that that's kind of a sort of true story, or at least a bait based on inspired by of, of John Holmes. Well, it's actually, kind of, it, what's ironic about Boogie Nights is there are stuff, there are parts of that that are absolutely John Holmes. Remember when yeah. Mark, remember when Mark Wahlberg and, and Burt Reynolds are arguing in the documentary in the film over blocking and whatnot? That is yeah. word for word, shot for shot, even Burt Reynolds' <laughs> facial expressions from Burt Reynolds is playing Bobby Chin, obviously, from yeah. the John Holmes documentary Exhausted. I mean he copied Indeed. it dead on. Just with that no whole thing is That whole thing is based on that. The little the little interviews with John Holmes, yeah, as you said, the blocking conversation. It's all from if the you, documentary you think about Exhausted. It, and- yeah, and Boogie Nights didn't even need to say that it was inspired by or based on a true story. You can watch it, and then if you feel like you know digging up some some old stuff about the porn industry, you can kind of put two and two together and go, ah, this is uh, this is kind of a movie about the uh, origin of John Holmes. That's kind of cool. <laughs> like, and it doesn't even have to say that it's based on anything. You can decide that for yourself if you if you decide to do do a little bit of research. Because and that to me is to me it's one of the better, maybe even the best, based on true events or inspired by true events period piece type movies and it doesn't even have to say that it is and that's great i actually think the best 
would be both for accuracy and because it's a fantastic movie would be Michael Mann's The Insider. And is that, that that matches up other than the stuff they couldn't legally do like you know they couldn't certain use certain names and products. It's really close to the real story of Jeffrey Wigand and and, and CBS in, uh, and 60 minutes and all that. It's pretty close. I haven't seen that one in a little while but I I do remember really enjoying it, and I I didn't realize that it was uh, that it was based on a true story. Oh yeah, is there, uh, the, yeah the real Jeffrey Wigand even looks a lot like Russell Crowe does in that movie. It's scary when you <laughs> see them back to you know standing next to each other in the making of. You're like, holy shit! Other than a, you know maybe a, some age difference, I could really see Je- Jeffrey Wigand being played by Russell Crowe. On the other hand, the real Lowell Bergman looks absolutely nothing like Al Pacino. But fine, <laughs> whatever. Now, what about when a true story? is obviously a biased story, such as, and I think this is one of Oliver Stone's best films, but The Doors. The Doors is supposed to be the story of The Doors. It's not. It's the story of why Jim Morrison was so goddamn awesome and The Doors should be thankful that they ever ran into him. That's the uh, the Val Kilmer yeah. biopic that he did? Yeah, it's a yeah, fantastic a, movie. I, I adore really good the movie, film. Yeah. But if it you was, know, uh, if Val, you, Val Kilmer was a perfect, he's a dead ringer for Jim Morrison, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. At least at that time. But if you know anything about the Doors, you're like, this whole movie is just as fiction. This is almost, this is Jim Morrison's version of how yeah. the Doors happened. Basically, the if you if you want to look at it in the right way, it's pretty much just Jim Morrison's just drug infused brain and the way that it saw things. And that's, that's a good way to make a movie about Jim Morrison because the guy but, but was, this movie wasn't about Jim Morrison or ostensibly it was about the doors. It's meant to be about the doors. Yeah. Should have just called it Jim Morrison. That would have been a better title. No, the last one I'm going to bring up, this is where we're probably going to get a lot of crap from the audience, especially if you end up <laughs> agreeing with me and we have not talked about this prior. So I don't know if you are. What about when a All story, right has been proven to be false before the movie is made, and yet they still label it as a true story. The Ed and Lorraine Warren stories. Amityville Horror, Haunting in Connecticut, The Conjuring. Ed and Lorraine Warren, you know, they're the true psychic investigators. Like The Conjuring, all over their advertising. This is true, this is true, this is true. You guys know it was completely debunked in the 90s, and even the Warrens admitted that they made it up, right? So how dare <laughs> Blumhouse sell The Conjuring as a true story when it absolutely is not? I mean, to the point where <laughs> the actual case that it was based on, they got a horror screenwriter named Ray Garten to come in and help them. He thought he was going mm. to be interviewing the family of people who thought they were haunted, okay? And so after interviewing them, he basically went to the Warrens and said... These people are just crazy. From Ed Warren, quote, All the people that come to us are crazy. Just use what you can and make up the rest. Make it up and make Uh, it scary. That's why we hired you. Unquote. So how are, I mean, uh, there are tons of movies. The Warrens have, they have, they have sold, they have sold their story to so many different companies that keep putting out true horror stories that aren't true. (laughs) The Warrens were shysters. They were scam artists. How dare Blumhouse label The Conjuring as a true story? thing with um, Amityville Horror and Conjuring and, and those types of movies is I, I do happen to like them. I like it supernatural horror I films. like Pain and Gain and look at how much I bitched about it. I know, I know. 
I'm going to be I'm going to be bitching about it. Just give me a second. Um, I do think it's incredibly underhanded. You don't need to label it as a true story. That's not, and maybe it is going to get people into the audiences. Unfortunately, because there are people that are going to find it more scary because that it's a true story, and they can go home and be all scared of the the oogie boogie boogeyman ghosts or whatever that are going to come and get them in their house. It it is underhanded to label it as is based on a true story, but they're saying this is true. And the fact that it, it was, as you said, debunked from the very start of it, the people t- they were just making shit up, you know, telling the screenwriter to, to make up any crazy stuff that you can, and yet still slapping the true story label on it. They're good films. They're well done. They're spooky. They're scary. They're fun to watch. You know, they, they, they creep you out and they're atmospheric. They're well done. You don't need to do the true story shit. You don't need, that's such a cheap way to sell a horror. It's, it's just showing that they don't have faith in horror movies, not nearly as much as they used to, that they feel like they have to put the true story label on. Otherwise people aren't going to think it's scary. And that lack of confidence is depressing because they're good movies. You don't, you don't need to do this lying shystering shit to get people into the seats. The movie should be able to do that for you. Just cut a good trailer, market it, and people will go see it. Any any story, any movie that's based on the Warrens' account, if you will, angers me right from the beginning because these people have been exposed as shysters. These, these are like the Erie Geller of today. And if anyone knows who Erie Geller mm-hmm. is, these the Warrens have no credibility, and yet people keep buying up their true stories and making them into movies. Fuck the Warrens. I know that I know that they're I know Ed Warren's <laughs> dead, but fuck the Warrens and fuck any of you who think their stories are true. I agree. I, so I guess uh, I guess we're going to get some shit from people cuz I do I do agree with you 100% on that. Why do you think they do that? I don't mean Blumhouse specifically in the Warrens case, but why do you think they embellish so much? For dramatic purposes. Obviously, they do it for dramatic purposes, but I mean, on a more esoteric level. For instance, like Patch Adams. That movie's a piece of shit. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But, here's the real insulting part. Remember Monica Potter's character in that movie? Plays a character named Corin Fisher, who gets romantically involved with Patch Adams and then is murdered in a psychiatric hospital by a patient. Mm. Except for the fact that Corin Fisher never existed. The real Patch Adams... Ah. His male best friend, who he was not romantically linked with, was the one murdered in a hospital. The screenwriters literally ah. changed it to a female, had them get sexually involved, because it would be more dramatic for the audience. Ah. A real person died here. Isn't that just shitting all over their memory and their grave for dramatic purposes? Isn't that almost as bad as the Don Slagle thing with the happy face killer? Pretty bad. It's the fact that they, they feel like they have to add in. There's so much of that in movies anyway. Like the un, I'm, there's nothing wrong with having some romantic stuff in your movie, but it's not always needed. You don't need to ham fist that shit into everything. It's not going to make the movie better if the movie doesn't need it. And it's especially insulting when you have a character that died and you're using something else for quote unquote dramatic purposes. Fuck off. Why does the audience want this? Because Brad Jones tore into me when we did this subject like four or five years ago when he was still on Radio Drum. He tore into me because the movie would be boring if it were completely accurate to reality. Just go watch a documentary then. He wasn't necessarily wrong because the audience doesn't necessarily want the truth because the truth would be kind of boring in a lot of cases. But 
Where is the line is my question. I think if you have um a true a true to life story thing and you're going to make a movie out of it and maybe the events aren't quite as colorful as you'd like them to be. Sometimes it is a little bit boring. Like I guess I guess maybe they thought that they should spice things up a bit with uh, the smiley face killer thing. Happy it's like, oh, killer. it's kind of boring. Uh, what is it? Happy face, Happy killer. face killer. Happy face killer. Okay. Smi- Smiley's the, smiley. the crappy internet meme slasher movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess I got the two confused. But yeah, I think, I guess they figured, you know, a single mom going out to get milk, she gets kidnapped, blah, 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 whatever. That seems boring. We need to, we need to edge this up a bit. We need to make her a prostitute. It needs, it needs more spice. It's very sociopathic because they're not thinking about the impact they're making on the real person's life. This is one that survived this. This is, you know, one of eight or nine victims, I think you said it was, that actually ended up getting away from this guy. And, and you're going to completely slander her. I mean, she's still alive at this point, which is, it's really unfair to the real person. I do think that it's it's forgivable when you do spice things up a bit for a true story movie if the events are actually kind of boring, I guess. But a lot of studios seem to think everything is boring. Like, I don't think it's that bad to really use the fact that she was just out getting milk and then getting kidnapped. You know what? That's fucking scary. That's actual true-to-life, terrifying stuff. That happens all the time. That's how people get abducted when they least expect it. And they usually are parents. They usually do have kids at home. And you know what? They do cry. They cry endless tears trying to get away from this situation that is real horror that's some like henry portrait of a serial killer stuff and you know what that to me is still one of the scariest horror films of all time so if you're gonna make a movie about a serial killer i'd say go more more that route than trying to make it super edgy you know when you make it when you have it more on the kind of reality side when it's somebody out you know going to the grocery store and getting abducted that's scary that's abrupt real life terror it's not boring I do see where where Brad is coming from, and they do do that for a lot of movies. I mean, they're and and here's where he's wrong. It's not always boring. If you look at the Jeremy Renner Dahmer film, a lot of the Dahmer case files, and you look into his interviews and how his life really was, that was a pretty accurate film. Jeremy Renner played it to a T. Even looked a lot like the real Jeffrey Dahmer, which made it all the more creepy. That one is kind of like watching a documentary because of how accurate it is. But you could still embellish certain things and make something really spastic and over the top. Like when you look at the Carl Crew Jeffrey Dahmer film that they decided to shoot while the Jeffrey Dahmer uh, court cases were going on TV because his buddy called him up and said, hey, you kind of look like this Dahmer dude on TV. You want to make a movie? And they went out and did like a total over the top depiction of him. And it was even like Jeffrey Dahmer is a serial killer. And it's even kind of insulting to him with how ridiculous and over the top they went with it. So there's always different examples of how to do it. When they embellish it, sometimes it can really suck. It can be really insulting. It can insult your intelligence with movies like Pursuit of Happiness and Aaron Brockovich. But sometimes it can be really fun. Like with, uh, what's it, the, the, the shark, the shark movie? Open water. Dead in the water, open water. Uh, The Revenant, which sure, that's maybe five or 10% accurate. An awesome movie. It's really, it's, it's one of those manly ass movies that we've been needing for the last like 10 or 15 years because of all the super polished action stars of today. So I think there's, there's a good balance there. I don't think Brad Jones is uh, entirely accurate when it comes to saying that it would just be boring if you, if you went the, the whole route. 
honestly, Aaron Brockovich would have been a better movie if they had have gone the actual story of her, you know, f***ing everybody over and getting a million dollars and having the people that she was defending go after her in a court case. That would have been very, very un-Hollywood. You know, very unorthodox, and it would have made it would have been for a very un-90s. Film. No way 90s Hollywood exactly. was going to make that. Yeah, what they ended up doing was a very Hollywood film when they could have taken something and, and made it very against the grain. So those are cases where embellishing didn't exactly work for the movie. It made it boring. But there's a lot Pursuit of people of happiness who refuse, boring. But, but see, here's the thing. There's a lot of people that refuse to believe that Aaron Brockovich was not this bastion of altruism that the movie paints yeah. her as. Like Law and Order and CSI and all this, all of these were always, you know, no similarities to anyone living or dead. Yet, if you watch the news, you're like, I know exactly what real case this is based on. What kind of line does that straddle? <laughs> when this is clearly based on a true case or a true person, but it's changed just enough. And in the case of like a Law and Order and a CSI, they don't call them true stories. Where's the line when it comes to like a Law and Order episode? It's an episodic program, and they've got a lot of different cases that they're doing for the show, and they're usually very violent and very graphic. And I, I think they're kind of trying to, to tiptoe around having to use it as a true story, and they would rather just say, not based on true events, you know, any any uh, similarities with people living or dead is purely coincidental. I think they're just doing that to save the skin off of their own ass rather than have to deal with the ramifications of the real families going after them because, you know, they're, they're putting this stuff out regularly. I think it is just, just a way for them to save their own ass. But then there's always that funny thing. Read the credits on any true story. It still has that thing where it's it still has that, that credit at the end, that, you know, not based on any person living or dead, blah, 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 yet you just claimed <laughs> it was a true story. Way, way to go, way to go, legal department. I think there's one we should mention because I know people listening are gonna are gonna bitch if we don't. We should probably at least talk about Bloodsport a little bit. Uh, the, the character Van Dam is playing made up everything. It's all all bullshit. His like martial arts awards, you know what he did in the Kumite, all he that Chris stuff. Chris Kyle it's did. All, yeah, it's a total Chris Kyle type. I mean, Bloodsport's awesome. I love that movie. It's really fun, but it does kind of damper it when you see that very uplifting little text crawl at the end with you know van damme's got the the fist up and he's about to board the airplane and it's like frank dukes went on to win this and then he fought for his country and it's like nope chris kyle or not chris kyle frank frank dukes did none of this and he was an abusive coked out scumbag piece of garbage well speaking of that what about when it's a true story that they only have the partial rights to have you ever seen the amazing eric roberts film star 80 i have not it's based on the the you know the the death and murder of uh, Playboy playmate Dorothy Stratton. But the thing wow. is, they were making the quote true story, but they couldn't men- mention like the movie Galaxia, the, the the movie director boyfriend that she has in the movie in real life was was Paul was Paul Bogdanovich, but he threatened to sue if they used his name. So it's chance of something else, or even that piece of fucking shit wired. The, the John Belushi, the one based on John Belushi. Michael Chiklis is not to blame because he is absolutely amazing in that. Even getting John Belushi's little facial tics and whatnot down perfect. So I'm not bitching yeah. about Michael Chiklis, but you've got the character of Danny. It's all they ever call him. It's clearly Dan Aykroyd. He threatened to sue. You have director John, clearly John Landis. He threatened to sue. They had to make up their own Saturday Night Live sketches and they never call it Saturday Night Live. They just call it Saturday Night. 
which it was in the first season, but you know what I mean, and whatnot, where you have a movie like Wired that's a true story, yet they can't actually use any of the true names involved. Does that undermine the true story? Now, keep in mind, this is also a movie, a white guy playing a Puerto Rican cab driver from beyond the grave is leading John Belushi through the greatest mistakes of his life, yet it's billed as a true story. Oh, my God. I think you've never um... seen Wired. I think I've seen, I saw it once a while back, and I, I know what you're talking about. When it comes to an example with a film like that, like that's, they, sh- they shouldn't even make that if they can't even get, if you're going to make a movie about John Belushi's life, acquire the proper rights and make it. Otherwise, don't do it. That's just stupid. Because, I mean, to me, if you're going to call your movie a true story, you should at least be 60% accurate. Yeah, you should be, be able to use actual names and people and shows that they were on. If you can't even do that, then, ah, it just... It just feels like a really bad, cringy, like not even a good made-for-TV movie like like Hitcher or something. It just feels like a like Lifetime one or something. Where can Peter be found up in the, the dark wasteland that is Canada? You can uh, find me, uh, obviously, you know, fighting bears and Tom Hardy on uh, YouTube, The Cinemasochist, on Twitter, at Cinematica, Facebook, The Cinemasochist. And you can find me also on 1201beyond.com, hopefully soon, with some t-shirts when the site finally relaunches. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, remember, just because it says true doesn't mean it's true. Always look into how much of a true story is a true story. That said, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold.
on the storm Riders on the storm Into this house we're born Into this world we're thrown Like a dog without a bone And actor out alone Riders on the storm Oh
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.